Hi, and welcome back to Holistic Health Masterclass Podcast. This is your host, Brett Hawes, and we are back with the first episode of Season 3. My guest today is Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride, the developer of the GAPS diet, also known as the Gut and Psychology Syndrome Diet. Uh, I really enjoyed this episode, um, even though we did have some sort of technical difficulties. Uh, so I'll just apologize that right up front. Um, we're both living in the country, um, as you will hear in this episode, some uh, chickens and roosters going off in the background. Um, I think there might even be some cows somewhere in there as well. Uh, so it was a real rural, rustic episode um, marred by poor Wi-Fi signal. Okay, So um, unfortunately, uh, there are some audio delays. Um, we actually had a delay as well. Um, so oftentimes it was difficult to get questions in because of the delay. Nonetheless, um, we did the best we could. And I think that from a discussion point of view, I think you will really enjoy this. Uh, we talk a lot about the GAPS diet, um, how Dr. Natasha came into uh, into it and, and sort of developed it and her history there and her son's history. Uh, but we get into some of the other nuances, right? So, you know, things like, can we do this um, on a vegetarian diet? Uh, you know, discussing the six phases of the GAPS diet. So what exactly are those six phases? Where should one start? The intended use. Uh, we talk about her clinical outcomes and some of the results that she's seen in her practice. And I was oddly surprised at the way the conversation turned out for the second half of the podcast. Because as soon as I asked the question, can this be done on a vegetarian diet, and we branched off into the collagen discussion, uh, I was somewhat pleasantly surprised, I guess, to learn that she had written a newer book, uh, Vegetarianism Explained, um, which really talks a lot about um, the ins and outs of vegetarianism uh, versus um, eating you know, eating animal foods and why we might need that, et cetera, et cetera. So um, we, we do touch on the sort of political side of things uh, with regards to the plant-based movement, which is something I would like to explore further on the show moving forward. But for the most part, um, we sort of uh, keep things confined to our discussion on the GAPS diet. So before we hop into the show here, I do want to remind you that if you are a practitioner listening to this, um, definitely go on to holistichealthlive.com. Um, I think this is a very fitting episode uh, to promote my one-day live practitioner workshop. Okay, and that's coming up on September 21st. So um, the clock is ticking in terms of registration. Uh, you know, just go and have a look at what it is. Uh, essentially, it is titled Digestive Health, The Practitioner's Guide. And it's really a very in-depth, immersive one-day event where I will be going through protocols that I've used uh, for the last 15 years in practice and tried and tested on hundreds of clients, taught to thousands of students. Uh, so I've really distilled all of that into a one-day event. Um, you will get a copy of my 140-page book um, with, I mean, there's just so much information in there from uh, standard medical diagnosis, drug and nutrient depletions, functional lab testing, diet, supplements, brand names, etc., etc. So that book alone is, is a very valuable book. It took me a long time to write. But um, also, you're going to receive a ton of other things as well. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to labor over this just because it is the podcast. I would just encourage you, if you want to attend that event, uh, go to holistichealthlive.com. And if you're unable to make the live event, I will be doing that as a digital 
online events as well. So um, you can sign yourself up and you will receive all of the materials. Um, so the bonus material, the book, everything, um, you will receive that plus access to all of the recordings from the day. Okay, so it's a full eight hours of lectures, um, plus I'm adding more things into there. And uh, as a final um, sign off here, you will also get um, free access to the Clinician's Corner, all right, which is a quasi-mentorship platform, um, aka membership platform. So go and check it out, www.holistichealthlive.com. And uh, that's it from my side. So please welcome to the show, uh, Dr. Natasha Campbell-McBride. Hi, Natasha. Thank you for coming on the show. Hello. I'm delighted to be here, and thank you for inviting me. Mm-hmm. So I've been a, a pretty avid student of your work for some time now and have implemented a lot of that in my own clinical practice. But I really wanted to get you on the show today because um, I've seen firsthand the difference that your work has made in the lives of my clients and patients. But I really wanted to um, give you a platform to introduce what you do and perhaps sort of like dig a little deeper and uh, share this with people who perhaps have not heard of what you do. So I think before we hop into the finer points, um, you know, just reading through your bio uh, and that sort of stuff, um, maybe just give us a good sense of your background. Um, you know, off air, you were just saying that uh, you were trained as a medical doctor in, in the Soviet. Um, but, you know, maybe sort of how did you get into all of this and where did you start off? I've been trained as a mainstream medical doctor in the Soviet Union before Perestroika. I'm that old. <laughs> and uh, um, after, after training as a medical doctor and practicing as a uh, neurologist and a neurosurgeon for a while, I, um, before then I had a postgraduate degree in neurology. So that's, that was my speciality. Um, I got married and moved to the UK and uh, lived in the UK best part of 30 years now. Hmm. And I was a standard uh, mainstream doctor, like any other mainstream doctor, believing in what I was doing. Uh I'm very happy with what I was doing until I started the family. And uh, we had illness in the family. My first child was diagnosed with autism at the age of three. And that threw me into a very steep learning curve. I realized uh, very quickly that my own profession had absolutely nothing to offer my beautiful little boy. How to find a solution? And uh, that put me on the path of alternative medicine, of natural remedies, natural treatments, mm-hmm. natural uh, approaches. The result of that was that my own child has fully recovered. He's now uh, a young man and he's leading an, a perfectly normal life. And that's how my clinic evolved, because having learned that lesson with my own child, I was in contact with many other families who were saying also had autistic children. And I started sharing my discoveries with them, and we started getting results in those families as well. And then I realized that the siblings of those autistic children in those families are not healthy either. Many have hyperactivity and dyslexia and dyspraxia, allergies, asthma, eczema, digestive disorders, clingy to their parents, various very mild problems at school, with behavior, with learning, and uh, health problems as well, physical and mental health problems. So as we started working with these children, uh, they started recovering too. I knew from my training in the Soviet Union, where actually the research in the gut flora was way advanced, way ahead the rest of the world, 
because we studied about gut flora um, as medical students at the medical school and we had probiotics in the wow. 70s and 80s we already wow. had probiotics that were used in the mainstream so I was familiar, familiar with the whole concept of gut flora, the whole concept of uh, microbes being very, very important for us and probiotics. And um, what I've realized that autism is a digestive disorder. And that's where it comes from and that's where it has to be nipped in the bud. That's where it has to be cured in the digestive system. And then I realized that uh, hyperactivity and dyslexia and dyspraxia and schizophrenia and depression and addictions and anorexia and epilepsy and all other learning disabilities in children and mental illness in children and adults come from the digestive system. Every one of them. I have no mm -hmm. doubt about it. And as I was working with my own child, the, uh, I found that nutrition is the absolute cornerstone, has to be the most important treatment, the diet, because digestive system is a long tube. What you fill it uh, with uh, has a direct effect on its well-being. So nothing can replace food as medicine. Food is the most powerful medicine on this planet, in this world. There is nothing that can come close to food in uh, the effects it has on the human health of every little cell, every function, every organ, every system in the body. Mm -hmm. And the diet that uh, I have designed and have developed, uh, my patients called the GAPS, uh, that diet stems from SCD, from specific carbohydrate diet, which was initially um, designed by various doctors through the ages, and it was compiled into a coherent program by uh, Sydney and Meryl Haas, in New York in the 30s and 40s, these people, these uh, mainstream uh, gastroenterologists worked with small children who could not digest anything at all. Um, they were diagnosed with celiac disease. And of course, in those days, celiac disease included all kinds of digestive disorders because gluten hasn't been discovered yet. So all kinds of digestive disorders were put into that diagnostic label. And the diet that these doctors have developed was helping all of those digestive disorders. And then as gluten was discovered in the 60s, and gluten-free diet was pronounced to be the cure for celiac disease, um, this uh, research got forgotten. It was then resurrected by a mother in Canada, you probably know, um, Elaine Gottschall, who was trying to help her own child. And from there it all and I found that diet right at the beginning when I was trying to find solutions for my own son. And I have um, developed it further. I have added recipes which were particularly healing. And it's my background in the traditional society in Russia because I grew up in the mountains, Euro mountains, and uh, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother in a small village in the mountains where there was only one shop in the village. And it sold, uh, you know, uh, sold spades and buckets and salt. That was about <laughs> it. <laughs> so everything people, yes, everything people ate, they produced themselves. So it was a, a real rural traditional society. My grandmother did everything. You know, wow. Everything was from scratch, from their animals, from their chickens, from their garden, from their bees. You know, the whole the whole diet. And I spent a lot of my childhood there with my grandparents. It was in my bones that diet. So I've taken that diet and I've realized that SCD that was designed by that group of doctors in America is pretty much the diet that my grandparents lived on for generations, for thousands of years. The whole village lived 
little on that way, yeah, on that particular night. Yeah. And this particular recipe is because my grandmother was a healer in the village. She knew herbs. She knew how to use food in healing people. She, she used to help a lot of people. And I remember that through my childhood, that women would bring their children to her, and they would sit in the corner and quietly speak about the problems, and she would give them recommendations. So she was one of the wise women in the village. And uh, obviously, I've, I've accumulated a lot of that knowledge, yes, and, and incorporated that, and the diet evolved and changed a bit, and a lot of recipes were added. And then it's my patients who called it the GAPS diet, because the first book that came out, uh, when I've written the whole thing that I've discovered, I called it Gut and Psychology Syndrome, where I made a connection between the state of the digestive system of the person and the state of the gut flora and what's going on in the brain, gut and psychology syndrome. And because it's quite a long mouthful of words, uh, my patients abbreviated it GAPS, and they call the diet GAPS, GAPS diet. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to just um, sort of stop you there for a second, because uh, just backtracking a little bit, you know, the, the, the research that's coming out nowadays, you know, um, between the gut and the brain, you know, the gut-brain axis and the digestive tract being the second brain, you know, in... I sort of feel like that's really only gained traction in the last maybe five years or so, maybe five to 10 years. And when I was looking at the timelines of your book, I mean, the you coined that term in 1998, if I'm not mistaken, long before mm -hmm. people were really making the connections between um, digestive health and, and brain function. So I just found it interesting, Absolutely. you know, and, and something you said earlier, um, how studying in Russia, you know, you were already studying about the microbiome and bacteria and all this sort of stuff, which I find fascinating because I feel like nowadays, you know, I mean, in the, in the larger society or a global scale, I think now people are starting to generally accept that all disease begins in the gut, you know? Um, so yeah, pr pretty interesting stuff. I mean, going back 20 something years now um, that you coined that term. Yes, my biggest surprise was when I arrived to Britain and started uh, communicating with the British doctors uh, here because I was looking into going into the mainstream medicine here. Uh, but my son, you know, directed me in a different way, in a different direction. Yeah. Um, and I remember my biggest surprise was that consultant gastroenterologists here in Britain never heard of gut flora. And uh, wow. when I suggested to them that there are microbes actually living in the digestive system that are necessary for us to be healthy and to be well, they, they thought I was crazy. Really? You know, wow. I, I got very strange looks. Huh. Absolutely. Huh. <laughs> and, and that started changing on, only in the last, um, last six, uh, ten years yeah. in the West because that's um, the time when the Western sciences suddenly got interested in the gut flora. They renamed it microbiome. They've given it all kinds of microbiome, microbiome, all kinds of new names. And now the science started piling in, confirming yeah. everything um, that we've been saying for the last 20, 25 years. Yes, the first psychiatrist that I've presented uh, my findings to, when I told him that um, all these mental illnesses, they're digestive, they're, they're of digestive origin. He looked at me that I was just a fallen off Mars and I was actually this crazy person who doesn't know what she's talking about, you know. And, and now um, everybody's talking about it. Now they're confirming what I've been saying for the last 25 years, that autism is a digestive disorder. What happens in all of these children and adults 
um, they have abnormal gut flora. 90% of all cells in the human body is in our gut flora. 90%. Wow. It means your body is only 10%. It's a shell, it's a habitat for this mass of microbes that live inside your digestive system. And you've got microbes not only in the digestive system, now we're discovering there is nothing microbe-free in the human body. Yeah. We have flora in the womb, in the abdominal cavity, in our lungs, in our heart, in our blood vessels, in our brain. We have flora everywhere. Mm. But the bulk of the bodily flora lives in the gut, and it's actually in charge of all the rest of it all over the body. If your gut flora is straightened up, if it's properly balanced and diverse, uh, then it will and the rest of the flora everywhere else in your body to straighten up. So uh, that flora is absolutely paramount. And what happens in all of these mentally ill patients, and now I've transferred that to physically ill patients too, because so this 90% of you is supposed to have a huge diversity, balanced, harmonious diversity of microbes. There should be bacteria there, and fungi, and viruses, and archaea, and worms, and flukes, and protozoa, and all kinds of creatures living together in harmony. Just like in healthy soil, if you, look, if you, if you take a piece of soil from a, a healthy, undamaged, untouched by humans place on the planet, it is the microbial community teeming with life, actually teeming with life, with all kinds of creatures. And the bigger the diversity is, the more all of these microbes control each other. They don't allow any one of them to get out of control, overgrow, and start causing trouble. Because all of them are capable of causing a lot of trouble. They can all cause disease, all of them. There isn't such thing as a good microbe or a bad microbe. They're all out there for their own needs. And as long as the harmonious, balanced community, where they all plant each other, and harvest each other, and eat each other, and control each other, as long as all that is balanced, our 10%, our body can thrive and be healthy and well. But what happens in the modern world, since we've discovered antibiotics, which happened around the Second World War somewhere, people started damaging that diversity in their microbial community in the gut. Every time you take a course of antibiotic, you kill off bacteria. These bacteria have been eating and controlling fungi, viruses, protozoa, and all kinds of other creatures. Suddenly these creatures are not controlled anymore, so they overgrow, they occupy large niches in the digestive system, and from being a, a beneficial member of the whole harmonious community of microbes in your body, they suddenly become villains. They suddenly become harmful and pathogenic because they've overgrown, they're out of control. And every time we, cause of we take a course of antibiotic, there's less and less balance and harmony is left. And, and there is more and more imbalance. Yeah. And the problem is we don't just take antibiotics when we go to the doctor and take a prescription. We take antibiotics nowadays every time we eat because everything you buy in a supermarket comes from industrial agriculture. Industrial agriculture uses a, a huge number of chemicals, most of which are antibiotics in their nature, fungicides, pesticides, herbicides, and other sides. So every time you eat anything, bread, vegetables, fruit, meat, eggs, milk, anything, you're eating antibiotics. And that is altering the balanced uh, the community of microbes in your gut. And on top of that, put another factor is that parents pass their gut flora to the child at the moment of birth, both the mother and the father. Hmm. We have now generations of people with abnormal gut flora, and every generation this gut flora is getting more and more unbalanced, more and more damaged. Because if grandparents, uh, let's say they were born before the 
Second World War. Uh, just think about it, the whole planet was organic before yeah. the Second World War. Yeah. There was no chemical industry to speak of, there was no pharmaceutical industry, no vaccinations, no antibiotics. These people have acquired solid, balanced, healthy gut flora from their parents. And they acquired fantastic constitution because the bulk of your constitution is your gut flora. And then after the Second World War, before they had their own children, perhaps they had a couple of courses of antibiotics, which damaged their gut flora a little bit, and they passed that slightly damaged gut flora to their children at the moment of birth. Then their children grew up in a very different world. They grew up in a world where antibiotics were given uh, to, throughout their childhood for every cough and sneeze, where industrial agriculture started appearing on the planet and growing and growing and producing more and more chemically contaminated food for us, where um, vaccinations came in, which damaged the immune system of these children and the gut flora, where junk food came in, and then the, the girls in that generation, at the age of 15, 16, were put on a contraceptive pill, which they took for quite a few years before they were ready to start their family. Contraceptive pill has a devastating effect on the balance of microbes in your gut flora. It changes mm. it quite dramatically, and not only in the gut flora, but everywhere else in the body. So by the time that generation of young people decide to have a child, their gut flora is seriously damaged compared to the generation of their parents. And they're passing that seriously damaged gut flora to their children at the moment of birth. This situation in the Western world has been escalating. And now it came to the point where a large percent of children has, have such poor constitution. They're born with such poor gut flora, such poor constitution. They are predicted not to outlive their parents. The parents wow. will have the grief of burying their own children because their health is so poor. And that proportion of children is growing every year. It's growing. Mm -hmm. It's getting quite, quite, quite... Uh, at the forefront of that epidemic are English-speaking countries. America, Canada, Britain, Australia. Yeah. And then other um, industrial nations are following not that far behind. But less developed nations are also not that far behind because our Western ways of doing things are, are coming in there quite rapidly and changing their lifestyles and changing their food production and everything else. Yeah. And it's this epidemic and they are in the depth of the abnormalities of the gut flora that I call gaps, the epidemic of gaps, is the root cause of our epidemic of autism, epidemic of ADHD, epidemic of epilepsy, schizophrenia in children, and dyslexia and dyspraxia and allergies and asthma and diabetes type 1, autoimmune illness, cancer, and everything else. Everything else. Because all disease begins in the gut. That is the majority of your cells sitting in there. 90% of you is in that. And if 90% of you is abnormal, unhealthy, producing huge amount of toxicity and producing and, and unbalancing your immune system, it's just a, a toxic stream uh, coming out of the digestive tract. Of course, the rest of you is not going to be healthy, the 10% of you. Of course, yeah. it's not going to yeah. be healthy. You will develop arthritis, you will develop asthma, eczema, psoriasis, cystitis, all sorts of problems, and mental illness too. Mm -hmm. And that is what GAPS is about. So in order to deal with that situation, I've developed the GAPS nutritional protocol. What we do, we drive out pathogens from the digestive system, and we rebuild the gut wall for the person. Because human body doesn't waste time on healing a sick cell. It kills it, removes it, and gives birth uh, to a baby cell to replace that dead sick cell. So your gut lining, that, that process is called cell regeneration. It's a beautiful process. 
That's how the human body renews itself all the time, heals any damage, rejuvenates itself, regenerates. By giving birth to trillions of cells every single day, to replace the dead, uh, damaged, old, worn-out cells. This process is particularly active in the gut wall of the person. A person who has abnormal gut flora has damaged gut wall. It's like a sieve, it's got holes in it, so food absorbs undigested, it doesn't have a chance to be digested properly before it absorbs, and then of course the immune system finds it in the bloodstream um, undigested and attacks it, giving the person symptoms of food allergy and intolerance and all kinds of reactions. On top of that, this pathogenic mixture of microbes in the gut convert food that you eat into a myriad of chemicals which are poisonous, toxins, poisons. And this toxic river flows from the gut through this damaged um, gut lining into the bloodstream, into the lymph. And wherever this toxic river gets to, it will cause disease. If it's in your joints, you'll get rheumatoid arthritis. If it's in your nervous system, you'll get multiple sclerosis, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, Parkinson's disease, neuropathies, or mental illness. If it's in your lungs, you'll get asthma, COPD, or something else. If it's in your urinary system, you'll get chronic cystitis or nephropathy. If it's in your skin, you'll get psoriasis, you'll get eczema, you'll get dermatitis. Wherever this toxic river gets to, it causes disease. So in order to heal a person, we need to change the composition of the gut flora, rebalance it again, bring back the harmony, the diversity, and we need to heal and seal the gut wall close up all those holes in the gut wall. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do with the GAPS diet. The GAPS diet uh, is very rich in fermented foods. We have them for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So we, we're putting beneficial microbes into the digestive system in their own habitat, in the bits of food that were fermented, where these microbes grew. At the same time, as the gut lining is damaged and porous and leaky in the person, we're providing huge amounts of building materials for the body to give birth to trillions of cells, baby cells, to replace the dead ones, the damaged ones in the gut wall. We're basically building new gut wall for the person. It will take several months to do, to replace all the sick cells and to heal all those holes in the gut wall, to close it up. And once that happens, when we rebuild the new gut wall for the person, that river of toxicity stops and the body cleans up. It cleans up. The brain has a wonderful ability to clean up the liver, the lungs, the heart, the skin, and all kinds of illnesses which are far away from the digestive system, and the person would never connect them with the digestive system, start melting away, start disappearing. Mm -hmm. I have seen so many miracles that uh, would be pronounced as miracles in the mainstream medicine, and I would have considered to be miracles when I was a mainstream doctor myself. But now to me, this is an everyday occurrence. It's, it's normal for me. Now, uh, my patients have taught me that there is nothing incurable. People recover from all kinds of illnesses, autoimmune illnesses, heart disease, diabetes, asthma, asthma, eczema, psoriasis, cystitis, you know, multiple sclerosis, neuropathies, diabetes type 1, all kinds of things that are considered to be completely incurable because your mainstream doctor hasn't got the answer for you. That's why they've called it incurable. But we live in a world of... Um, abundant information. The fact that your doctor doesn't know something doesn't mean that that knowledge doesn't exist elsewhere. You just need to continue looking. So, um, so, so I guess just to sort of circle back to a couple things, because um, obviously you covered like a lot of ground there in, in five minutes, and I want to unpack some of those things. Um, you know, when you talk about adding fermented foods and so on, what I've experienced anyway is that 
people with severely imbalanced gut flora oftentimes can't even handle a lot of the fermented foods right out the gate, right? You sort of have to introduce them a little bit more slowly because they'll get gas and bloating and, uh, and, and GI upsets. Um, is that fairly common that you've noticed or can some people just go for it? Because we'll talk about what the diet actually is in a second, but you know, I know you've got the different phases before someone actually gets onto the full um, GAPS diet, right? Um, yes. Um Fermented foods, as well as good quality commercial probiotics, have active microbes in there, powerful microbes. Mm -hmm. When you introduce these microbes into your digestive system, they start killing off pathogens. Pathogenic fungi, candida, bacteria, viruses, all kinds of things. And when these things die, they release toxicity. And yep. it's these toxins that give you your individual symptoms. These are the toxins that make your child autistic or hyperactive or unable to focus or unable to learn or unable to behave. It's called a die-off reaction because these microbes are dying and they're releasing this uh, level of toxicity which is uh, making the person ill. So if you suddenly introduce a lot of these microbes into your digestive system, the die-off reaction can be very severe and yeah. all your individual symptoms will become worse immediately. No. That is why we introduce fermented foods and commercial probiotics very slowly, very gradually, very carefully mm-hmm. for the vast Are majority you... of people. And the more severe the situation we deal with, the more gradually and slowly we have to do it. Yeah. And uh, with one particular probiotic that used to be my formula, um, BioCult, which is my formula. Um, it doesn't belong to me, but it's I formulated it. We start by opening a capsule for some people, particularly for people with chronic fatigue syndrome, multiple sclerosis, fibromyalgia, and other severe degenerative conditions. What we do, we open the capsule, and we take as much as would fit on the tip of a sharp knife. And that's your daily dose. Wow. And even that in many people produces a a serious die-off reaction. And they have to be on that dose for a week, two, sometimes a month before the body settles and it can handle that amount of toxicity being released. And then you can add another uh, tip of the sharp knife per day. So we have to go that slowly for some people. With the diet itself, there, are, there, are, there, are, uh, there is the full GAPS diet, which is the easiest to follow. The full list of uh, foods that are uh, allowed on the GAPS diet nutritional protocol are included into that um, diet. And for the majority of people, I do uh, recommend to start from the full GAPS diet. Okay. So you have a bigger choice of foods. You can introduce yourself into the diet slower and more uh, carefully and in a more tolerable way, uh, not, not go cold turkey. But then at some point, when you, maybe six months later, maybe a year later for some people, when you have learned to cook, when you have equipped your kitchen, you've learned quite a few recipes, you went through quite a bit of die-off with the full gaps diet, you're far more experienced and far ahead and much stronger, then you can do the introduction diet. Introduction diet, uh, it's called introduction diet because it's, uh, many people start from it, but you don't have to start from it. If it's difficult, if you need to learn to cook, if you need to equip your kitchen, if you haven't found all the sources of good food for yourself, start from the full. It's, it's easier to follow, and you will still get a lot of healing on that. The introduction diet 
is difficult to follow. It is a huge commitment. Agreed. It's difficult yeah. to follow. But it will achieve much deeper healing, much, much deeper healing, and it is extremely powerful, extremely powerful. So people who can go cold, if you have help, if your kitchen is equipped, you know where to buy all the necessary foods of good quality, somebody's helping you, then you can start from the introduction diet. And initially, you know, it's structured in six stages. Start from the foods which are the easiest to digest and which are the most healing foods on the first stage. And what and would we those stay be? on there for a few days, then we'll move into the second stage. Those are meat stock. Please okay. don't confuse it with bone broth. Okay, so yeah, let, let, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, what, what's the difference there? And perhaps paint the picture, you know, what exactly is phase one, two, three, and so on. Um, just so that our listeners have a better understanding. Um, Remember I talked about those cells that line the gut lining and mm -hmm. which are dying. We need to replace them with trillions of newborn healthy cells. To give birth to those healthy cells called enterocytes, the body needs building materials. These meat stocks that we're drinking all day and we're making soup with them on the first stage provide every building material necessary for your body to give birth to trillions of new cells to build a new gut wall for you. And it's the meat stock that we focus on. What's a meat stock? You take a large pan, maybe five, six liter pan, you put a whole chicken in it, and it would be wonderful to get the chicken feet and chicken necks and chicken heads and chicken giblets as well, because they will contribute lots of other good nutrients into the stock. And you fill it up with water and you put a large tablespoon of natural salt, heaped tablespoon of natural salt in there, and you put it on the stove and you cook it for two hours, three hours maximum. So the chicken then that you get out of it, then you, you, you pour off the stock uh, through a sieve to catch any bits and pieces. And that is a golden, clear meat stock that is delicious. You can just drink it, you can make soup with it, you just take a portion of it, add some vegetables to it, cook the vegetables until they're soft, maybe for 20 minutes, here's your soup. The chicken that is left after making that is delicious to eat. So you strip all the soft tissues off the bones, all the cartilage, all the skin, the, the, from the wings, from the neck, everything, the, 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 the bone marrow, the, um, the spine, the, the brain, if you've got the heads, and all the giblets, and you strip them off the bones and you cut them into bite-sized pieces. When it is ready, when you cook the vegetables in that stock, you return all that meat into the soup. It's a meal in itself. Hmm. So you eat the meats and you eat the vegetables and you eat the stock. Keep some of the stock in a separate pan in the fridge. It'll keep for 10 days at least in the, in the fridge. And just take a portion uh, every hour, every two hours, and drink a cup of it. And then should that, just warm up a cup so it's nice and warm for you. And then there you can break a couple of raw eggs. You can put boiled eggs in there. You can put a tablespoon of sour cream in there, some herbs, some garlic. And uh, just keep drinking that meat stock. That's the meat stock. We can make meat stock with pork, with beef, with lamb, with game with turkey, with goose, with duck, with, uh, you, you know, pheasants, rabbit, whatever you've got access to. And in, in uh, Canada, Canada, you have wildlife. You've got deer as well in Canada. So you can get some game, very good meat. And beef and uh, pork, pork, beef and lamb, you probably need to cook three, four hours. And you want to put a good joint in there. 
So there is a joint, there are bones in there, and there is a good amount of meat. These are not just bare bones. No, no, no. We're putting a, a leg of lamb in there. We're putting a shoulder of lamb in there. We're putting a, a whole neck of uh, uh, lamb or a neck of pork or ribs or any other bit. Feet are fantastic. Pig's feet, pig, pig's head. Yeah. And that bouillon, that is called the meat stock. Bone broth, shall I, shall I finish with the bone broth? Bone broth is something very different. Bone broth is a poor man's this is something what people traditionally did with bones because they didn't want to throw them away and they were poor uh, people. So what people do with the bones that are left from your meals, when you've roasted the chicken maybe, or when you've roasted the log of lamb, you've stripped the bone, this is a bare bone. People accumulate these bones in the freezer. When they've got enough, they put them into a slow cooker or into a large pan, add water, and you always add some sort of acid to it. You either squeeze a fresh lemon into it or you put some vinegar into that water. And you simmer and simmer and simmer that for two, three, four, five days, minimum 24 hours. The, the liquid that results from that, um, this acid in the water, it leaches out minerals and amino acids from the bones. After four or five days, you can crush that bone with your hand. It becomes soft. Dogs love it. So uh, you've taken a lot out of the bone. That is a bone broth. It has a completely different taste, completely different uh, composition, biochemical composition of minerals, amino acids, and other things. It has too much glutamine in it. And because bones are a natural storage site for lead in us human beings and in the animals too, if the animals were exposed to lead, then it would be very rich in lead, bone broth. I do not recommend bone broth on GAPS nutritional protocol. We're talking about meat stock, not bone broth. Bone broth, we can start making quite a bit of recovery has happened. The person's digestive system is ticking on very nicely. We have nice stools. There's no more pain, gap, uh, gas, or indigestion, or anything else like that. Then we can start making bone broth. It doesn't taste as nice. It's milky in its yeah. um, appearance. It's nice to use for making soups, for making stews, uh, for, for making vegetables in it, or something else like that. But the core of GAP's diet is meat stock. Where the meat that you fish out from that stock after three hours of cooking is delicious, soft, and all the gelatinous tissues have cooked through, all the ligaments and capsule of the joints and all the uh, tough tissues around the joints and bone. Bang the bone marrow out on a wooden chopping board, return it into the soup. So that stock is delicious and it's clear and it makes a beautiful soap and it's nice to drink. That's what we're talking about in the GAPS nutritional protocol. From the beginning, on the first stage, we add fermented dairy products. The only allergy to dairy that we respect is the anaphylactic type allergy, IgE. When your lips swell and you can't breathe, that's the kind of allergy we have to respect because it can be deadly. All other reactions and allergies we ignore. And we, 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 first of all, we have to find the right kind of milk. It needs to be from the natural breed of animal on organic pasture, real natural pasture, not uh, the, the commercial grass-fed where they keep the cow in a factory and cut commercial hybrids of grass that they fed with chemicals on the fields, cut it and bring it, haul it into that factory and feed it to the cow. And nowadays that's an accepted grass-fed 
No, 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 that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for real breeds of cow, natural, not hybrids that humans invented. Real breeds of cow or goat or sheep or donkeys or, or, or camels or deer. I had some patients in Canada who milked deer. It's a perfectly wow. good milk, and it's certainly not commercialized. So and we, want, we want it raw. We want it natural. In Canada, you have an opportunity to milk deer, and you can somebody can actually uh, make a business out of it to provide people with deer milk. It's good. It's very good. I had patients in, in um, Greece who milked donkeys, also very good milk. Interesting. So any kind of non-commercialized natural natural milk coming from non-commercialized, non-hybridized animals who are on natural real grass under the sunlight in the pasture, outside on the pasture. So we want that milk raw and then we ferment it at home for 24 hours to remove all the milk sugar lactose out of it. And the fermentation pre-digests all the proteins in the milk. The uh, casein gets digested and broken down. Albumins are digested and broken down. Parents of autistic children in particular are afraid of dairy because of gluten casein free diets, which yeah. is a waste of time for the majority of these children. Um, what we want is the GAPS diet because gluten casein free diet doesn't heal the gut, doesn't change anything. It just removes two toxins out of the equation, leaving hundreds and hundreds of other toxins still to damage the child. So we want the GAPS diet, which will heal the gut and remove all of those toxins all the time. Mm -hmm. So we ferment that milk. And when it's fermented well at home from raw, it's pre-digested. Your digestive system doesn't have any work to do with it. It just benefits from it. And we make sour cream from the beginning, from cream, and we make, make uh, yogurt and we make kefir. And because these are fermented foods, they're teeming with live active microbes, we minimize the die-off from that. So we start with literally a teaspoon per day, a teaspoon per day, spread through the day for the child. Add it into all those cups of meat stock. So all the person is eating on the on the first stage is meat stock, meat stock, meat stock, meat stock, soup, 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 soup. With the meat that we made the stock with, and one teaspoon of kefir or one teaspoon of yogurt that you made at home yourself. You can't buy it in that quality. You must make it at home yourself. And all the recipes are in my book or a sour cream. That is all we are eating on the first stage. And that produces, provides huge amounts of building materials for the gut wall to start rebuilding itself, the new gut wall. And it drives out pathogens, it starves them of their lovely uh, favorite foods, and it just heals, heals. I have a farm, I have an organic farm. I'm an organic farmer for the last seven years. Nice. And I have a lot of volunteers who come to work on my farm. Yes, just recently I had a boy from Norway came and he said, you know, after being here for a week, he's kind of very quiet, this boy, and he suddenly uh, volunteered this. He said, I had, he said, a terrible uh, chronic fatigue syndrome and uh, terrible digestive problems and allergies. And then somebody recommended your book to me. And I went on the introduction diet straight away. And he said, the first week I felt awful, worse than ever. Mm. Absolutely awful, he said. I was pretty much bedridden the first week. And uh, he said, I felt nauseous, and I had energy, and I had headaches, and all my joints were hurting, and all my muscles were hurting. But he said, I persevered. And he said, after the first week, I started improving. And now he said, I've been on this diet for two years, and I feel so well. I've recovered from everything. And it wow. was just so lovely to hear that <laughs> from a person who just came out of nowhere, and I never heard of him. 
So you can't feel awful initially because all those passages will be leaving and they're not going to leave without a good fight on the way. So you have to be prepared for that. And the stronger the die-off, I will tell you, the quicker you recover, the better the uh, recovery is. So mm. obviously it's important to control the die-off, not to debilitate yourself, to, to right. continue functioning um, by introducing fermented foods gradually and slowly, slowly. And on the first stage, you don't introduce any other supplements or any other uh, commercial probiotics. That will be far too much for, you, for, mm. your, for your body to handle. It'll be quite enough. Just depriving all those pathogenic microbes of their favorite foods will cause a die-off in itself. The diet itself will cause a die-off in itself because as they are starving, all that candida and clostridia and all the other pateros and other nasties that have overgrown there, they're starving. And as they're starving, they're dying, releasing toxins. And that is causing a die-off reaction. It's, all your individual symptoms will get worse. So just be prepared to go through that. So before starting the first stage of the introduction diet, get help, organize your household, organize somebody to help you with cooking, cleaning, whatever needs to be done, so you can sleep, so you can rest, so you can focus on yourself, because you're going to feel awful. You can feel awful. And the more severe the situation is, particularly a person with chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia or multiple sclerosis, yeah. the more help you will need. Don't just throw yourself into the deep end without pro proper preparation. Mm -hmm. So I, I wanted to circle back to a couple things, um, you know, and just to sort of play devil's advocate, because I know people listening will have these types of questions, right? So we hear about uh, things like meat being very acidic, right? And so the GI tract needs to be slightly more alkaline. And, you know, so, so the acidity is bad, right? So we hear that we hear that um, meat is difficult to digest, right? So that's another sort of FAQ that comes up. And the other one is, um, you know, fiber as well, right? Like we know that fiber feeds the good microbes. So what I'm gathering from GAPS diet and from hearing you is that instead of focusing on feeding the existing um, bacteria with fiber, we're actually just introducing um, bacteria, you, you know, in the form of fermented foods and in some cases probiotics, right? So I don't know, perhaps if you can talk, speak to those points a little bit um, just to sort of clear the air, because uh, I know that we will have more of the plant-based crowd, which um, tend to not favor the GAPS diet because it's pretty heavy on the meat side of things. Um, and another question that I will sort of throw out there as well is, is it even possible to do this on a vegan vegetarian type of, of eating plant? Okay, let's start with the fiber first. Mm -hmm. Fiber and starch feed microbes. The problem is they feed equally the good and the bad. All microbial communities thrive nicely on fiber and um, starch. If your digestive system is populated by balanced healthy gut flora, eating fiber and starch will allow that flora, balanced flora to eat and grow stronger and make you healthy. You'll feel great. But if your gut flora is dominated by pathogens, you'll be feeding those pathogens with the fiber and the starch. They'll get stronger, they'll get bigger, and they'll cause you a lot of grief, a lot of trouble. GAPS people have abnormal damaged gut flora dominated by pathogenic microbes. That is why fiber is not good for them. And starch is absolute no-no. It has to be out for a long enough period of time until we have rebalanced and restored the gut flora. Then 
Some people may be able to reintroduce starch. Fiber slowly is reintroduced through the six stages of the introduction diet. But in the initial stages, we remove all fiber as much as possible because it just feeds pathogens. It is indigestible. Both starch and fiber are indigestible for the human digestive system. Our digestive system is not designed to digest these things. And it just damages it. It's scratchy, it's, it's rough, it causes ulcerations, it causes inflammation in the gut, and it's just a huge challenge of undigestible roughage that comes in and feeds pathogens in there. So that has to be out. Then let's talk about the meat. The kind of meats that we favor in the GAPS diet are gelatinous meats. Because about a third of all protein in the human body is collagen. It's an elastic protein that holds the human body together. And your gut lining and all your joints and your ligaments and the skeleton of your muscle and the skeleton of your bone and the skeleton of your lungs and all your blood vessels and all your capillaries, they're made out of collagen to a large degree. So what's happening in the human body? Problem is collagen is a big magnet for toxicity because it has many uh, sulfur-containing amino acids in it and it's just magnet for toxic chemicals, toxic substances. When these toxins absorb from the digestive tract, from the activity of abnormal gut flora, they target collagen. And when they attach themselves to molecules of collagen in your gut lining, they change its three-dimensional structure. Then the immune system uh, surveys the body all the time. It goes around the body, checking everything all the time. It finds these changed molecules of collagen, looks at them and says, you're not mine, you look foreign, you look like a virus, something else, and attacks it. And first it will launch inflammation in those molecules. That's how all forms of arthritis begin, through this mechanism. And it always, toxicity always comes out of the gut. Just every form of arthritis, whatever diagnostic label was attached to that arthritis. You know, and the same happens in the gut. That's the mechanism how celiac disease begins. Collagen mm -hmm. in the gut lining gets contaminated by toxicity. And uh, the immune system launches an attack on that collagen, starting to cause damage to the gut wall, causing inflammation. And then gluten joins in in the whole thing because gluten is a huge allergen. It's, it's, a, it's a, an indigestible protein. In fact, most, pro most plant proteins are indigestible with the human digestive system. They're indigestible and they have an appropriate uh, biochemical composition for building the human body. The only proteins that are appropriate for human body to build itself from, and half of your dry weight is protein, are animal proteins from meat, fish, eggs, and dairy. These are the only proteins that have the right amino acid composition to build our protein and which are the easiest for the human body to digest, metabolize, and handle, and use. Plants are full of proteins, like gluten, and the more <laughs> we're researching gluten, the more we're realizing there is no human being on this planet who can digest gluten. Even if it's not damaging you specifically at the moment and you have no symptoms, you are being damaged. Other, yeah. other things are happening. Gluten is damaging everybody. We're yeah. starting to research other, other uh, proteins and plants, proteins and grains and nuts and beans and lentils and vegetables and fruit, why not they're all indigestible for human body? They all damage a soul unless they're properly prepared. And they have inappropriate amino acid composition for the human body to use them for building its own protein, for building your brain, your muscles, your heart, your lungs, your your skeleton, the physical structure of your body. Yeah. So the best protein for human beings and the only suitable one comes from meat, fish, eggs, and dairy. 
When you say the word meat in the Western world, people see steak, right? They see pure muscle of the animal. When you say meat to people in a traditional society, like the village where my grandparents used to live, they see joints and ligaments and brain and heart, lungs and tongue and liver and kidneys and you know, also and skin of the animal. They see lots of gelatinous parts. And in fact, in every traditional society, the muscle of the animal was considered to be a supplement to all the important bits. The most important bits were things on the carcass, the skin, the ligaments, the, the joints, the bone marrow, the brain, the heart, the lungs, the organs. Because people in traditional societies through experience knew that those bits are far more nutritionally important for us to consume than the muscle itself. Pure muscle must always come with gelatinous parts and with fat. In fact, human beings need, if, you, if you've eaten uh, 100 grams of muscle of the animal, there should be 100 grams of fat with it, half and half. Mm. Only in that mixture, your body can really handle that muscle properly. Lean piece of mass muscle of the animal is a poison. It, it doesn't really work in the body on its own. It's been proven through so many uh, studies and, and it's been proven through experience. Even some uh, of the um, American people who were traveling across from the East Coast to the West have discovered that through their own experience. They nearly died because they were traveling, the only one group, and it's a good description, it's published. The only meat that they could catch these people on their travel for two weeks were rabbits. Rabbits are very lean. Yeah. There's no, yeah. no fat on them. And they all got ill. They all got ill until uh, they, they came across a, a tribe of Indians, American Indians, who fed them a lot of fat. And they all recovered <laughs> on mm. that fat. So it's, it's very important for every bit of muscle to eat an equal fat with it. So in the GAPS diet, we want all the cheap cuts. We want the skin, we want the bones, we want the joints, we want all the marbled muscles on the ribs, on the spine, on the neck of the animal, on the bones, on the feet, on the head, uh, these kind of things. When we cook them, the bouillon, the meat stock that you make, if you put it in the fridge, it turns into a jelly, a stiff jelly, because it's full of collagen. And your gut lining is made of collagen. You need to keep pumping collagen into your body in order to restore all those tissues that are being damaged by the disease process in your body. You need to supply the building materials. This is a known fact now, and there are many supplement companies now which are producing supplements of collagen um, in capsules, which are expensive. If you've written all the skin on your chicken that you've cooked, you've written a bottle of that, of that supplement. <laughs> all the capsules in that bottle you've written in one meal. Much cheaper, <laughs> much less expensive, and much more effective. And that's what, that's what, that's what we focus on in, in yeah. Do you feel yes. do you feel that those collagen supplements? I mean, do they do they actually work? Um, one question, and then point B would be: is, is it possible to make collagen through? You know, you've got like vegan supplements now that are trying to make collagen out of plant based nutrients. Like, is is that possible? Do you know about that? Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Mm. Absolute nonsense. Mother Nature created our bodies to get their nutrition from food, not from pills. Yeah, yeah. And no plants, no plants can uh, ever replace animal foods in the quality of nutrition to build the physical structure of your body. In 2017, uh, I have written a book called Vegetarianism Explained. 
But if you go online and you just key in vegetarianism explained, you'll find the website and you'll find my book. Because I was getting all these anorexic girls in my clinic, and I discovered very quickly that more than 90% of them became anorexic because of veganism and vegetarianism. Huh, interesting. And that spurred a very intense uh, study on my part into this subject. I got very interested. I think I was, you know, what's the connection here? How interesting. And, uh, and I had also lots of people with depression and schizophrenia and other mental illnesses coming to me became that way because of veganism and vegetarianism. Mm. So the first thing I've discovered when I started researching that there is no scientific studies for us to rely upon. All science that is published on this subject has been done by pro-vegetarian lobby and they are skewed and they're manipulated. We simply cannot trust these studies. The biggest lie in the world is the China study and it's promoted <laughs> vigorously by the mainstream. Yeah, it you is. You cannot trust one bit of that study. Absolutely, you cannot trust it. So, mm. so I, I, I found that, oh, there's no, there's, there's no science to rely upon at all. So I went uh, down back to the uh, basic sciences of biology, physiology, zoology, agriculture, and uh, biochemistry, and clinical practice, clinical experience of many, many doctors over, over decades, who all came to the same conclusion as me. And based on all that research, I've written this book, Vegetarianism Explained, where I explain how animal foods work in the human body, how plant foods work in the human body, and due to the way our digestive system has been designed by Mother Nature, Plants are, do not feed us. They are not feeding foods for human beings, plants. The only things that really truly can digest plant matter on our planet are microbes. <laughs> microbes. Human digestive system is not designed to digest. Yeah. The only foods that truly digest are the easiest to digest for us are meat, fish, eggs, and dairy. And these are the foods that feed our human body, build the, the physical structure of the human body and uh, maintains the physical structure. Because mm -hmm. remember I told you that all cells in the human body live a short life. They, they, they work very hard, they get old, they die, they get shed off and replaced by newly born uh, baby cells. In order to give birth to all those baby cells every single day, building materials are required. And the only appropriate building materials for that process in the human body come from animal foods, not from plants. Mm. So the vegetarians and vegans don't understand this. They don't have this information. Our mainstream medicine doesn't have this information yet. They don't understand it. So mm. please read my book. It, it, it's full I, reference. I, I will. It's completely I, I, scientific. It's easy yeah. to read. And it will explain to you. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. You know, I mean, it's something that um, it's something that I talk about quite often. Um, you know, I'm not a huge proponent of veganism and vegetarianism. I think for some people, it might work initially in the beginning. But these are, you know, perhaps people who are just eating a standard, you know, a, a, a typical Western diet full of processed foods and whatnot. And all of a sudden, if they you know, eliminate all of the chemicals and all, you know, all that sort of stuff, then they're going to start feeling better. But yeah, I mean, so many um, people who are on the plant-based sort of uh, uh, road trip, um, often, you know, I mean, all of these vegan YouTube stars, um, we've got a lot of people now, I mean, the, I think that the dropout rates for people on veganism and vegetarianism is anywhere from 74 to 84% of, of people go back to eating meat. Absolutely, it's inevitable. It's inevitable because it doesn't feed you; it cleanses. 
Plants, exactly. The purpose of eating plants is to keep our bodies clean on the inside. Because plants are a powerful cleansers. They have powerful cleansing substances in them, uh, surpassed cleansing substances. That's why we eat plants. And the more we grow plant matter, the more cleansing you receive. There are many people in this, in this world who are very toxic, who have accumulated large amount of toxicity mm -hmm. in their bodies. When they go on a purely vegan, uh, particular raw regimen, yeah. um, they cleanse in a powerful way. And a cleaner body always feels better than a toxic one. So, and so all these evangelical books about veganism are written in those first few weeks when people start feeling better. <laughs> but then at a certain point, the body will finish cleansing and it will become hungry. It will want feeding mm, and it will give you a signal. I'm hungry now. I finished cleansing. Feed me. And the way the body will give you that signal is by giving you desire for a piece of meat, for a piece of cheese, for fry up, you know, English breakfast, or for something else like that. But problem is many vegans and vegetarians do it for emotional reasons, political reasons, religious or other reasons. And they, uh, for ethical ideas, and they override that signal. They don't listen to their body. They dictate to their body to continue cleansing when the body wants to be fed. And that's when the problems begin. That's when they start degenerating. Degeneration sets in. The body starts breaking down its muscle to feed more important organs. Brain, heart, liver, lungs. And the muscle mass, uh, they start losing muscle mass. They start losing bone mass. These people, they start developing disease. And the problem is the brain goes, in vegans in particular, what I've observed in my clinical setting, I've observed it in so many patients and other clinicians that I work with uh, observe the same. First, the sense of humor disappears. The person becomes black and white. They become revolutionaries and <laughs> very, very prudish about their choices and, and very critical of others. And uh, uh, then, then the uh, cognitive ability starts declining. The memory starts declining. Long-term vegans are just not the sharpest tools in the box, I'm afraid. I'm sorry to say this, but this is what is happening. And another interesting thing that I've discovered in my clinic, and then I've spoken to some recovering vegans, and they've confirmed it to me, and one of them mentioned that one of her friends is writing a book about this, actually, about this subject, that if a vegan who tells you that, oh, I've been a vegan 15 years, 20 years, look at me, I'm perfectly fine. If that person really looks a picture of health, that person is cheating. If that person is looking uh, that they are, they've been just dug up from a grave yesterday, <laughs> then that's an honest vegan. Their body is starving and degenerating. But vegans who look good, they are cheaters, they're cheating. What happens here, the first person that uh, made me aware of this was a, a, a lovely boy who came here uh, to my clinic once, and he told me, this is something I've never told anyone, and I'm telling you, you're the first person I'm telling this to. He said, I was a vegan for four months and I was walking along the street distributing leaflets about vegan, veganism. And then a smell of roasting chicken wafted out of a shop. And he said, I went into some kind of trance. I walked into the shop. I bought a whole chicken. I came outside. I sat on the pavement and I've eaten the whole chicken. And then I came out of that trance, he said, and I was so ashamed of myself. And I never, ever told anyone about this. This is what happens to vegans when your body becomes so starved of the nutrition that it needs. It will switch off your conscious mind and dictate to you to go and get the right food. You will go into that trance. It's like a split personality. 
that happens. It's like a mental sort of phenomenon that happens in these people. They're not in control of their actions. They go and they gorge, they binge on animal foods, on meat, on chicken, on sausages, on eggs, on whatever. And once the body received what it needed, they come out of that trance, they come out of that state, and they're so ashamed of themselves, these people, because they're running vegan blogs, and they've written vegan books, and they've talked mm -hmm. to thousands of people promoting veganism. They never mentioned this to anyone. And this was, this was told to me, revealed to me now by a number of recovering vegans, this fact. And uh, there's apparently one vegan that is writing a book about this. Uh, a book about this. Interesting. And that would be a very honest and good book to see. You know, I don't know the name of it yet. But yeah. if a vegan looks okay and healthy, do not trust that they do not cheat. They cheat. It's not conscious cheating. This is like an bulimia, an anorexia situation in these people. Hmm. Uh, their conscious mind gets switched off and they binge on animal foods uh, in a trance of some sort. And then they come out of it and they never tell anyone about, anyone about this. If a vegan really looks as if they're going to drop dead any moment, <laughs> you know, he looks so pale and they usually have dark circles and they're extremely thin, these people, and they, their speech is slurred and they can't think straight, these people, they, they're dying. The physical structure of the body is being broken apart. Then that's an honest vegan. They, these people really force themselves into that situation. There's another uh, aspect of it, you know, there's this um, belief that in order to become uh, spiritually enlightened, you must be vegan. I've heard it so many times. I've heard that so many times, vegans. yes. Yeah. I know some truly, exactly, and it, it, it's an absolute nonsense. It has nothing to do with spiritual enlightenment whatsoever. Uh, because I know some people who are true, truly spiritually enlightened. I, I've been fortunate enough to meet some uh, spiritual masters, real people. And they tell me that this is complete nonsense. That um, to be spiritually enlightened, diet has nothing to do with it whatsoever. <laughs> mm. It's the spiritual work that you have to do. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I would also add to that, you know, obviously being conscious of the, the type of um animal foods that you're consuming you know obviously uh, looking at animals that have been ethically raised that have been fed um, good food themselves that have been postured etc cetera, etc cetera, um, obviously that would tie into it from a dietary standpoint you know as opposed to uh, supporting giant industrial operations you know where they're pumping them full of antibiotics Absolutely. and chemicals and hormones and whatever else you know i think it's an important point to just sort of get out there because i find that the there's no nuanced discussion out there in the public discourse anymore well i have a chapter on it in that book in this book vegetarianism explained i have a chapter on where does your food come from yeah. you know if you've seen a film about uh, industrial agriculture how terribly and cruelly inhumanely they treat animals and birds um, going a vegan is just the wrong thing to do because you're supporting them it mm. sounds crazy but please read my book and, <laughs> and understand the real what is really happening the pro-vegetarian propaganda that all western governments are now pumping to the population uh, in fact they are now uh, Recommended giving the recommendation to the population that all of us should become vegetarian to save the planet. Yes, I want to talk that to you about that. That is coming from yeah. the agenda of a big from the agrochemical complex, because mm -hmm. for the agrochemical complex to produce animal foods is very costly, very low profits. It's heartbreaking. It's difficult. It's expensive. 
they do not want to be producing meat, eggs, and milk. They don't want to do that. It's difficult, expensive, unprofitable. It is easy and terribly profitable for them to grow crops because of the way the whole thing is structured, because of all the chemicals, machinery, chemical industry, and the rest of it. It's easy. It's worked out to a T by agronomists and by the science. You know, you spray this on day five, you spray that on day 15, right. you spray this on, and here's a seed for this, and here's a chemical for this, and everything's been pre-treated and pre-prepared, and it works. You get your yield, you get your profit. And one man can serve thousands of hectares with all the machinery and chemicals. There is no labor involved it's to produce plants for the big agrochemical complex. That is why they want the whole planet to be vegetarian. And it is all plants, grains, soya, beans, potatoes, vegetables, fruit, it's easy for them to produce, highly profitable. Because of the chemical sciences and because of the way it's all been designed, it's, it's a guaranteed yield. It's a guaranteed. And the Western government subsidized them on top of that. Yeah. They get their subsidies, yeah. which goes on top of the profit. So it's wonderful for them. So... Monsanto, Bayer, and other agrochemical uh, companies, they want the whole money to go vegan and vegetarian because then they will be in business. And this propaganda that goes is sifted through the Western governments comes from them because they control agricultural policies of Western governments. They put their people into Western governments to run these agricultural policies. That's where the whole propaganda comes from, from them, from that agrochemical plant. When it comes to real, true, uh, regenerative, organic agriculture, these two things swap. Producing meat, milk, eggs is easy, cheap, profitable, beautiful, as because you, you work with animals, you put them into an environment that nature designed them to be in, on pasture, under the sunlight. They're healthy. There's no need for drugs, for antibiotics, for steroids, for, for vets, for anything. It's cheap, it's easy, and it's really little work. It's absolutely, I'm, I'm an organic farmer, I'll tell you from first-hand experience. Mm -hmm. I have all the animals, all the birds here. Meat and eggs and milk are the easiest to produce. It, it takes an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening. The rest of your day is free to do whatever you want. Wow. <laughs> but growing plant matter in an organic setting, my God, that's where work is. My God, that's where the real labor is. And the yield is completely unpredictable. You can put all the effort in it. You'll get nothing at the end of it. So there's no yield. There's no profit from growing plants. It's difficult, labor-intensive. Need lots of people because you can't use chemicals. You can't use machinery so much. You, you have to really uh, put a lot of effort into that. So producing enough plant matter in an organic setting, you can't do it in an organic garden to feed even one vegetarian for a year. It's not possible. Speak to any organic gardener. They will tell you that. <laughs> I grow organic vegetables, I know what it's like. So it is not possible to feed large numbers of vegetarians and vegans on our planet from organic agriculture. Impossible. But so, the, the, so what they're doing, these people, when they become vegan and vegetarian, they are filling the coffers of Monsanto, Bayer, and other agrochemical complex. They're playing into their hand. And that's precisely what they wanted to do. And that's precisely what they've been manipulated to do. These people—they've been deceived. Do Do you know um, Do you know much about the Eat Lancet uh, study? D did you look into that? Um, 
the, the this two-year study yeah, the, the two-year study that came out that basically said this is how the whole planet should eat for planetary health and also for human health i kind of uh well, you know Twenty countries, yeah, the the whole the whole uh, Western world has put together their best renowned scientists into this commission to give a recommendation to the whole planet. And if you were a Bay or a Monsanto or Dupont or another big agrochemical company, and you knew that twenty eight countries are putting this commission together, what you will sit back home and do nothing about it? You're gonna fund them. <laughs> Wouldn't you crawl all over that? commission wouldn't you put your people into that commission mm -hmm. wouldn't you make sure that they make every decision that is uh, profitable for you and these companies are so wealthy it's, it's multi-trillion and they command the agricultural policies of western governments they're in charge of that commission is it lancet is recommendation that comes from agrochemical complex yeah, well, and, and and now you've got the Beyond Beyond Meat and Impossible Burger and all of these companies too now, which we I've started seeing them at our like big coffee shop chains, you know, so the Tim Hortons and your A and Ws and fast food places now, Wendy's are all selling these like Impossible Burgers and whatever plant based burgers, and you look at the ingredients and it's just crazy what they're doing. You, you know, I mean, it's it's a long list of ingredients. Um, you know, it's it's not a lentil burger that was made at home with four ingredients. It's got all sorts of vegetable oils in there. Like it's 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 mental, you know. And now I see people that are all climbing on the bandwagon and saying, "Hey, let's go and uh, you know, let's go and eat this at the fast food restaurant." And I, I just you know, I've started looking into it a little bit in terms of who's really driving that and who. Uh, who are the shareholders um, in that company? And it's very interesting when you start picking it apart because it sort of ties in with what you're saying. You, you know, there's there's a much broader agenda that's um, behind the scenes that most people are not even seeing. Yeah, it, it is the whole machine that is going to make huge amounts of profits on uh, the recommendation for the population to be vegan and vegetarian. It is a money-making uh, exercise. Mm -hmm. That's all it is, and people people have been manipulated to believe in all of this. Uh, all they're doing is they're destroying the planet. The more vegans and vegetarians we have on the planet, the more we will destroy the planet. Every vegan and vegetarian is the destructive planet. That's what they're doing because it is the arable agriculture growing plants for all these people that is destroying the planet. All the fields, uh, arable fields in, in, uh, in the Western world are desertifying. The desertification is tremendous. It's phenomenal what's going on. Large parts of the arable fields in the Western world are desertifying, turning into deserts due to the activities of industrial arable agriculture. And every time, every vegan and every vegetarian is filling their coffins, eating their plants, because they are producing the food for all these vegans and vegetarians, not organic agriculture. It's not possible to produce enough plant matter in an organic setting for them. Interesting. Interesting. Well, Natasha, I think um, we'll, we'll sort of leave it there and, uh, and wrap things up, but uh, definitely a, a very enlightening um, discussion 
both from the sort of gap side of things, but also in the sort of second half here of, of the show, um, really getting into the sort of veganism, um, you know, vegan plant-based uh, versus meat-based diet. And, and I think, um, you know, I will just sort of put the disclaimer there as well, because I know it's a controversial uh, topic. You know, I think you and I both agree that looking to more small-scale um, regenerative, um, you know, ethical ways of raising animals is obviously the way to go. We're not promoting um, industrial farming, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I think it's it's always an important point to put out there because people just like to shoot it down and say, oh, so because you're promoting meat, that means that you also support these giant industrial operations. And so that's obviously not the case, um, you know, which is of why... Of course you, not, of yeah, course not. Exactly. You know, the, 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 what these people need to know is that... Uh, the facts, and, and the fact is that about 75% of all the population of humanity is not fed by industrial agriculture. These people are fed by small mixed organic farms, subsistence farming, because the majority of the world's population lives in uh, poor countries where they, they have a goat in the back garden and they have their own yeah. vegetable plot and they have their chickens you know, and they do catch their fish in the river. And that's what they live on, these people. So mm -hmm. majority of people on the planet are fed by subsistent uh, organic farming. And that's what we have to go back to. And even the Western countries have, every country has hundreds and hundreds of proper real mixed farms. Because the real farm must have everything in it. The cows yeah. and the yeah. pigs and the sheep and the uh, chickens and the turkeys and the gardens and the arbor, on the orchards, you know, everything. Because once you've disturbed the soil, the soil must not be plowed, must not be disturbed. Every time we plow soil or, or put a spade to it, we destroy its structure, we destroy its microbial community, and it starts dying, the soil. The only way to regenerate that damaged soil after growing a crop is through animals. Only animals in nature can do that, through their manure, yeah. through their urine, the inoculation of the microbial community into the soil, and the proper cover of the soil. The soil must never be left bare. Mm -hmm. Never. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A bare soil, if it's left bare, it dies. Why does nature work so hard in covering every bare piece of soil that we humans disturbed with weeds? These are not weeds, these are medicine. These this, this are yeah. healing plants which heal the soil after we've disturbed it, after we've destroyed its structure. And that's what arable agriculture does consistently. It kills the microbial community in the soil with its chemicals, and it keeps plowing, plowing, tilling, tilling, destroying the the structure of the soil because soil, yeah. soil has its own structure you know by biological structure in there well, and what, the more what, you do that to the soil the more the soil dies and turns into dust and turns into a desert and that's what parable is doing the only way to is through that back is through animals through animal agriculture and in this kind of buy your food in this kind of farms do not buy your food in supermarkets. Supermarkets is the last place anybody should be buying food if they want to be healthy. Go and find these farms. Go and speak to the farm. See where the animals are, how they kept, how the vegetables are grown, how the chickens kept, where they are coming from. And you buy all your food from exclusively from these farms. Then you'll be supporting real agriculture. Then you will be buying meat from a happy, healthy animal. Happy animal. It's a happy meat. And it's happy milk and it's happy eggs, which will bring you health and bring you, um, you know, robust, strong physical structure for your body. You don't have to support the big ug 
Uh, and if, every time you buy food in the supermarkets, that's what you're doing. Go directly to the farmers. That's the only way to be healthy in our modern world. Agreed. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, that's one of one of the reasons why I moved out of the city a few years ago and moved out into the country. So I am surrounded by farmland and we have very fortunate that we have access to all of that. Um, you know, exactly what you just said, like that's all around me. And um, it's, it's really neat to be able to not just support local farmers, but also to actually have food that has been grown ethically, sustainably, et cetera, et cetera, but it's grown in the environment that you actually live in, which, which is, um, I think there's also an energetic uh, uh, sort of property of there course. as well, which, um, which is huge. So Natasha, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's, um, it's, it's been a great discussion. Um, I feel like we could probably could probably talk a little bit more, but um, uh, any before I let you go, uh, where can people find out more about your work? Um, obviously, we spoke about GAPS diet, so I'm going to put up that link. Um, but what's the link to the book that you were mentioning um, in the second half Vegeta of the show? It's, it's a website called vegetarianismexplained.com. Okay, great. One word, vegetarianismexplained.com. I also have a, a, my own website, is called Yes, my own website is called gaps.me. Uh, there are many gaps websites out there. My website is called gaps.me. And I have a blog called drnatasha.com. Okay, awesome. And I'm going to put all of those up there. So for those of you listening, uh, hopefully you enjoyed today's um, episode. Uh, obviously, go and look at the show notes. I'm going to put up those links um, to connect you with Dr. Natasha, with GAPS Diet, etc., etc. And as always, if you enjoyed uh, today's episode, uh, please consider subscribing, leaving us a review, and of course, sharing this with your friends, your family, and your community. So, uh, Natasha, thanks once again for coming on the show. That's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Awesome. And um, for those of you listening, you have a great day wherever you are. Thank you.